Hello, NPR friends. Thank you all for sticking with me over the past calendar year. I took a week off to celebrate the holidays with my family and friends. So excuse me for not delivering an episode last week. I really do apologize. For those that are listening for the first time, welcome to No Pants Required. I'm the host, X3C. In today's mini-sode, I'll bring to you some of the highlights our favorite discussions over the past year plus. I also want to thank each of you for sticking with me for another year. I have a lot of interesting, fun, and live episodes planned. Yo, 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 whether you're wearing pants or not, welcome to No Pants Required. I'm your host, X3C, and thanks for joining. Next, you will hear eight discussions from eight different episodes. Hope you guys enjoy. Came along for us. It's like, came out of nowhere. Everyone's connecting through the internet. That's correct. We got aimed. AOL chat back then that's what correct. it started with um, what it started with and now you got like Facebook Messenger all the social media platforms mm-hmm. um, and now you got like metaverse so it's like I think about it in a way where and I'm gonna go off the end at the end of this one but I think <laughs> about it in the metaverse in a way where it's like you have family very distant that you can't travel to go see very mm-hmm. often right elderly grandmothers um whatever the case is like you, you could different countries like pop get them a get them a oculus or yep <laughs> and and there you are like so i get the asp of, aspect of it and i like it from that perspective but i just envision a world where we're gonna end up like wally <laughs> and have you seen that yeah okay so th- that that's the scary part is like nothing's gonna beat the real world but you know you get these kids you give them an oculus they're having the time of their life and that might be their new way of a social uh media platform look like i said before i think it's gonna go even further than that yeah i think the real world will be in the metaverse oh no yeah like yeah. your job is going to be oh, yeah. in the yes. metaverse um you heard of uh matterport no i'm not endorsing it so <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say that out loud take it how you will but um that's a company right that um goes in and they kind of have these like specialized cameras they go mm-hmm. into whatever building corporate building is what they're doing now um and they're heavy on like uh um uh, like Redfin, right? You'll see, you'll kind of see their little logo on Redfin. Those 3D tours, when you go on the yes, house and yes, you do 3D tours, yes. that's kind of what's backing it. Got it. Um, but they do that for corporate buildings. Uh, mm. So you're, wherever you work, if you have like a main headquarters, they're like, could 3D that model into the metaverse. And you are in the office, in the metaverse. That is going to be a future way of working, no Absolutely. doubt in my mind. Yeah. And Microsoft so, is already working on that as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's that's one that's kind of behind the scenes doing that 3D, like, technology in a way of, of converting everything digitally. And as technology advanced, you know, I think it's important that we, there's a lot of risk out there, right? Yeah. There's a sure. lot of privacy that uh, elements that need to be, you know, fine-tuned. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that, that that's still unknown. And 
though I think it's it's something to be concerned with, I don't think it's something that should be um, that would prohibit right the development or success so like we we are aware of some of the concerns but you know the design around those awareness right you yeah. do want to mitigate the risk understand the risk yep but then once you have a plan to move forward you move forward with it um i did do a poll question on instagram um a couple of days ago about just trying to gain the sense of how long people can go without spending money. It was very interesting on the responses I got, you know, um, you know, people were really, some was strange, you know, I mean, I got one was like one year. It's like, what? what? How did you, this guy was also in the military as well. He ate the three meals a day. Uh, didn't spend any of his paycheck on anything. Didn't do anything at all. Didn't travel, didn't go anywhere. Just, ate the meals didn't spend money i say okay well that's I mean, a shocker some people are satisfied with like how they're living i mean they don't need to go above and beyond what they have already right and that's remarkable for those individuals <laughs> i can say for me it probably was about maybe maybe two and a half pushing probably three days max i've done that i remember in college i had 20 dollars, and i tell this to everybody i had 20 bucks it lasted me a full month. It Jeez. did. I figured out how to stretch it. It was basically for food, right? Yeah. It lasted me a full month. Um, but most of the responses on Instagram was like, the average responses was like, um, maybe one to three days that people save. I got a few two weeks here or there. One person said 12 minutes, <laughs> um, which was hella, hella funny. Um, you know, and that guy that was accurate <laughs> yeah is, but it's, it's kind of all over funny. the place you know what about you how long have you gone without spending i mean anything not even anything now obviously you got your bills right yeah. that's that's different yeah. i'm talking about like you spending debit card or cash i usually spend my money on food so when i did a fasting i think for two and a half days i did not spend a single dime on food so i'll round it up for three days so yeah yeah which was the only time I haven't spent. I mean, yeah, if I'm not spending money, then it's usually on food. Yeah, that's interesting. It fell in the line, though. One or three days from the poll we did, I did on uh, Instagram. Actually, I did on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so let's jump into a little bit um, about building investment portfolios. That is an interesting topic. I mean, I personally do not, I do not have any um skills in picking the right stocks my knowledge usually comes from friends and family members like warren i mean i didn't really didn't even invest in anything until you start bringing things up and that's when i basically started investing into EVs or actually, no, I did have money in cryptocurrency when it first started, mm -hmm. which was back in 2014 or 2013. I, I bought some Ethereum's and I, when in, in 2015 it peaked at like eight or 9,000, I cashed out what I put in and some profit. So I still have stuff in there, which but, is great. Yeah. It's, That's a long game. And from there it was Warren, 
Maggie, my girlfriend's um, dad, and my family members that actually, my parents and my siblings, they bought into Apple and Tesla a long time ago. And when it split, they wanted me to buy into it, but I was not feeling comfortable because I had other things planned. And now I'm like investing in Lucid. Um, Excellent you know, choice. Xpeng. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would take Neo over Xpeng. However, Xpeng did announce, I think, this week that they are uh, moving out of the China market. They expanded outside of the China market. Oh, that's per- that's perfect because mm-hmm. I picked Xpeng just because it's international, and now that's they're expanding even more, which mm-hmm. which is also a reason why I picked Neo, and that's an electric car company in China as well. They're moving into Europe, oh, so that's one of the reasons why okay. I went with Neo. Um, but yeah, I was very upset when I heard you didn't take my advice on purchasing <laughs> Tesla. I was like, this I didn't, dude. I saw the price of Tesla. I was like, man, I don't even know if I can buy 50 shares of these. Buy like, one. My first share of Tesla was one years ago. One before the split. Oh, God. I mean. $190. Usually when I go in, I go almost all in. So I can't uh, just do one share. So I have to, like Lucy, I have like over 140 something shares. That's outstanding. So, I mean, they're going to hold it. It's going to do really yeah, well. I'm, I'm leaving it. I'm trying to retire next year. So in today's episode, it's all about helping you improve your credit position. But first, I do want to share some stories with you guys, at least two stories, because this happened to me, FYI. I've done it twice, yep, twice, where I've experienced some hard times as it relates to my FICO credit score. And I've successfully, on both occasions, improved my credit position. And so I consider myself to be an expert on this topic, though I am not a financial expert. I do know that there are some proven methods to help you improve your credit position. What I mean by credit position, simply improving your credit score, your FICO credit score. I don't come from a background of like financial experts or, you know, trust funds or a wealthy environment of family, but I was taught the value of money and how to manage my money. And so along the way in my journey in life, I learned I've done some things, made some mistakes, and those financial mistakes cost me a lot. And with that, I learned techniques and methods to improve so I will avoid those things. Granted, I did say it happened to me twice. So, you know, maybe I didn't learn all of those initially, but where I'm at now in my life, you know, I won't make those same mistakes again. So I want to share that information with you guys so you guys won't make that mistake. Or mistakes. There's this book by Susie Ullman that helped me change my financial life. And, you know, you, you hear people say something happened in their life and this helped me change my financial life. But I'm really serious. This helped me save my financial life. And though I can't find the book now, I don't even remember the title of the book. I had a copy of it years ago. Not sure where it's at. That's what I get for helping someone else out. I let someone borrow the book and I, and then I got got. <laughs> so let's start off the, back in 2008. Um, my credit score was hovering around 560. Pretty shitty, right? So within two short years, I boosted that credit score from 560 to 717. This is prior to me purchasing my first home. 
it was also the very year um, I, I received that book from Susan Allman from not really sure again where, who I received it from. And uh, they had some life lessons in that book. And it really helped shape, you know, a, a, a better position to help me prepare myself. And so I really followed those. And I'll, I'll cover about five steps shortly. But I do want to tell you guys about this, this other story that happened to me. So just last year, um, again, this time my score was not as dire in the fives, um, but I wanted to repair. I wanted to improve. So I was already satisfied with my credit score at this point, but I wanted to increase it even further. Right. And so I reached back into my toolkit and start following some of those same methods I used to follow back in 2008 to help me improve my credit position as well. And so I did that. And so it increased again by, I believe, another 50 points recently. I can say there are times where I wish I would have done this earlier, follow these five steps, and as well as, you know, just had a better understanding of credit worthiness and how to protect your credit from purchases, from opening up, you know, credit cards, uh, stuff like that, right? And so I was never one who would like avoid paying my bills. I would always, you know, I've always paid my bills. But I just kind of wish early on I would have understood the value of credit cards. I think that would have been tremendously important for me in my financial education. So let's switch things up slightly. So when I brought up this idea of multi-level marketing to some of my friends, most people immediately turn it into a, oh, it's the same as a pyramid scheme. And I'm like, well, no, it's not. Um, but they, they can have some similarities in some ways. And so mm -hmm. let's just explore the whole topic in general of multi-level marketing from your perspective and then also what it's, why it's not a pyramid scheme. Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, first of all, you know, pyramid schemes are illegal, you know, and when I first started doing this business, I started like really hearing about that. I never thought I would be into network marketing, first of all. Like I never thought network marketing was going to be something for me. I didn't know what network marketing was. I didn't know what MLM was. Mm -hmm. And then I started hearing about all this pyramid scheme stuff. And, you know, like, and I actually did my research. So, you know, I always tell people just do your research, you know, before you start assuming to things. Um, and, you know, like a pyramid scheme, again, like I said, it's illegal. You know, a pyramid scheme is something that, they is a company that doesn't sell a consumable product. Right. And they only get paid by recruiting people. That's a pyramid scheme, right? Correct. That's mm -hmm. a company that's in a pyramid scheme because there's a lot of MLMs out there. Um, you know, MLM is a direct selling network company that sells a consumable product, right? And builds a sales team. So as a um, so as a Monet market partner we use and promote products like i was saying earlier and we teach other people how to do the same mm -hmm. you know and that's what we do when we start building our sales team you know we all use and promote these products and then you know if you do want to start earning more money 
you teach people what you learn in your business to other people so they can build their business. And that's you building a sales team. So we get paid to teach them pretty much. Um, And another thing too that I love about this company, and by the way, this is like the first network company that I've ever worked with, but I've heard a lot of other people that come into this network marketing company and they come from other ones like, you know, like Herbalife or Mary Kay or Mm -hmm. what else is out there. There's like a couple, a lot of different ones out there. And they say that this one is really different because we're more modern. Right. Um, So in our compensation plan in this company, um, you and any MLM as well, you can always outrank the person who brought you in. Right. So for example, Warren, if I bring you into this business and I teach you everything and you're working harder than me, you can surpass me, right? Mm-hmm. So meaning if I'm stuck at a rank and at a, if I'm stuck at a rank promotion level, whatever you want to call it in the company, that doesn't mean you can surpass me. You know, that doesn't mean that you're also stuck underneath me. You know, right. you can sur- you can surpass me just because I'm not putting in the work doesn't mean you're stuck with me. So Got in it. network marketing, your hustle really determines your paycheck. So you can come in and you're like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep going all the way. And I can just be and I probably, you know, lazy and not really want to do so much. And I'm like, I'm just OK where I'm at right now. You know, just because I brought you in doesn't mean you have to stay where I'm at. You can totally surpass me. Um, and, you know. Just continue building your business pretty much. So <clears throat> absolutely love it. And thanks for that clarity. That was outstanding. Um, you know, the difference there. And and you know, I just want to really clear up for people who are listening to to this before they even, you know, dive down that road, you know, just want to provide clarity and factual information to everyone. Just, you know, it's, it's you got to be like relevant, obviously. You, you mentioned that many times. Um, and so when it comes to, you know, you've done a lot and even your, your previous career. I don't know if you want to you know dive into that, but it, when it came to your previous career, I won't say the name unless you want to say it. Um, was it any hesitation as you was diving into launching Blairism? You know, one of the things that I realized, that you have I mean there are a couple options you have like but I'm, in terms of working I, I, I think I, I try to boil them down to two choices you can either spend your life working in service to something with someone else's name on it or you can work in service to something with your name true and it was a uh, it's daunting to make the decision because we are all so conditioned to do the former of those two. We're all kind of trained to get a get an education, mm-hmm. a skill, to get a job, to work for X number of years, save to retire, right? Not to find what your purpose in life is or find what you, you are really good at and build a company or build something with your name on it to service the, the world. I mean, that's, and so I always, I never saw myself moving into the direction of entrepreneurship. 
I always thought I was going to get, you know, get a job that got, got me another job and got me promoted to this level, to this level, to this level, whatever. And so transitioning into entrepreneurship and like it all, it both happened, I think, to me and for me at the same time. Meaning, some of the things that certain things had to happen in the places that I thought were certain, where I was working for other people and was happily working for other people, right? Mm -hmm. I think some of those things had to crash and burn in certain ways. In order for me to be in a be in the space to receive that entrepreneurship was really knocking at my door. I mean, it was it came it really like came looking. For me. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, I think. close to that it's hard for us to really see like unless you step out your bubble and mm -hmm. like i was telling you with my past experience going to different states until you kind of go somewhere else and you're like wow there, there's nothing here if, if this employment center moves out this town's dead you right know? I, I think it's kind of also just stepping outside your comfort zone to see also potentially you know what demographics do you want to serve because i think you know for a lot of starting real estate investors or people interested in getting into it a, a lot of it just becomes about you know, I, I remember you, you had a podcast on this as well about passive income mm -hmm. and everybody talks about, check it out, passive income, yeah, check it out. No, really. I mean, and it, it's such a buzzword because people, I think, realize after you're working so many years from starting low, like we did mm -hmm. and work on our way up, well, I can invest X amount in my 401k or an IRA. And then what else is there? Right. How do I diversify? Correct. What do I do? I don't understand the whole crypto space I, I, or I'm not comfortable taking wild swings. Maybe I just want to put it in real estate for a long term investment. So when you start bridging that, I, th I think it I think the challenge of just anybody's investment environment on a general level is just trying to, you know, sift through the weeds of what's available. And I, I think real estate, it's, it's, it's a good diversification source. But, you know, with it, it comes a lot of potholes along the way absolutely so let's explore that so we are now consider those options you know we've done our due diligence our market research and now we, we considering establishing or structuring an llc right and so i feel like that is critically important but you brought up something a while ago when we were chatting about this topic a few months ago about like a double llc or llc structure that you 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 reference so you can expl explain that a little bit more Sure. So I think um, it's good just to start off with, you know, for people who don't know what an LLC is, it stands for limited liability company, or if other people have heard the term pass through entity. Mm -hmm. um, so basically with this type of structure, all profits and losses generated by that LLC or company are passed directly to the owner who then it incurs it on their personal tax return. Right. Um, so the corporation itself isn't paying the tax. Um, and and like this can be structured either as like a single purpose LLC, so it's a singular individual, or if you have one or more partners, um, it then as the IRS categorizes it as a partnership, where yeah. then you know it's passed through to each of the different owners of that LLC, 
um, based off their certain percentages. And that's why you hear terms of like, oh, to report your taxes, it's on a K-1 schedule, mm -hmm. because that's pretty much breaking down the individual partner's interests on, on that more informational tax form. So, you know, starting with the base LLC entity, it then becomes, well, why do I even need that? Why would I pay this like hundred or so dollar filing fee with the state just to, you know, register this company for myself? And it really becomes about, you know, insulating risk from yourself, right? which, which is huge. So, you know, asset protection, if I am the owner, say of like one of our townhomes and we move and want to rent it mm -hmm. and we just rent it as an individual and then for some reason something goes haywire and you know the the resident you know files a lawsuit well if there's no insulation it comes directly back to you as the owner but then your core assets your bank account you know all that stuff that's related to you yeah you know can be collateral yes and there's a lot of risk so by forwarding this llc entity you're insulating the risk um, directly to yourself, just to that business entity that doesn't own anything right, right outside of the core real estate. Um, also, two, which is great for a lot of people is privacy. Your, your personal name isn't on it. You know, you can have a different name on the LLC like, hey, I'm Warren, but my LLC is yeah, like X3C, you know, media. Yeah, media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little little uh, shameless, uh, uh, shameless plug. There. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, so those, those are kind of the two basic general types. But, you know, a lot of the times with either what my company does or I've seen before is you could have an umbrella LLC yeah. or maybe a managing member type of LLC that is, you know, the main owner of multiple pieces mm. of real estate that all individually have their own LLCs. Got it. That's what um, you're referring to. Okay. Yeah. So it's just kind of a, an extra layer of protection, but, you know, kind of the same pass through type of structure. And um, it just basically just starts to, as your portfolio grows, really mm -hmm. insulate you. Many colleges around the country were offering to accept those impacted by the hurricane into their universities without having to go through the whole admissions piece and all of that stuff. And so um, I was at... Um, well, at the time, it was Our Lady of Holy Cross College in New Orleans, which I think changed its name now to University of Holy Cross. Um, and at the time, Howard University in Washington, D.C. was accepting students. One of my friends sent me a text message because at the time, that's all you could really do is send text messages, phone, cell phone service and towers were all knocked out. And so I decided, yes, I'll go to D.C. I load up my car for whatever I could find out of my apartment because yes, I did have like three and a half feet of water and I left and I drove my car. My brother and his family was behind in their car headed to State College, Pennsylvania and I was headed to Maryland in DC. And one of the programs at Howard, it was, uh, I can't think of the exact name of the course, but um, I, it was a practicing, was like the the name of the class really. And so I was a practicing principal at a middle school for the entire semester. And I really enjoyed that. The University of New Orleans didn't have that as an option or part of the curriculum. But at Howard, it was part of the curriculum. And I enjoyed it. I actually reported to the middle school every day to the principal. And, and the principal at the school would give me different tasks and things to help shape my development, but also put me in experiences 
in which principals have to deal with, right? And maybe once a week or every two weeks, my professor will come out to the school to observe and or um, to see how I was doing, right? And it was an amazing uh, class. And so I really think, you know, as we develop curriculums, even at the high school level, we have to have we have to add in those labs or those on the job experiences, internships, volunteers. I think that is critical to developing. I can read something and test something, but if I can't apply it, I may not fully understand it. Um, I do have this question here in the live that says, what about those students who, <laughs> who need the basic one-on-one? I agree. That is what community college, in my opinion, is for. When you're not necessarily ready to tie into your major, but you are ready for something a little bit beyond college or you think you, I'm sorry, high school, or you think you are ready for something beyond high school. I think the community college serves a specific purpose and a needed purpose for all those entry level one-on-one courses and our certifications, um, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so I think not to say this is a terrible idea, uh, my ideas are really like earth shattering. Um, but I think structurally we need to make some changes in, in education, especially if we want to improve our scores, our rankings. I'm sorry. Financial literacy in high school, STEM program, capstones, transitioning a little bit of how we, our curriculums are designed at the middle school level, greatly change it a little bit more towards the STEM direction in the high schools. Maintain arts because arts are critical. You need that creativity. It, it, it's a way. It's a way to help with the other side of the academics, in my opinion. Um, and then reform how we look at college, right? Because in the future, the way it's headed with social media, especially these air quote social media influencers, you know, folks hit ten thousand followers or a million followers on their different social media sites. You know, folks are bringing in checks from these different social media platforms. You don't need to necessarily go to college at all. But guess what hasn't happened? You haven't had financial literacy. But if we have that in high school, it can now help these individuals maintain a better way forward. And if we start this capstone early on, maybe that capstone is to become a social media influencer. I hope not, but maybe it is, right? And so you now have went through your middle school and part of your high school career honing in on the specific areas you want to achieve. Now, when you finish high school, you go right into that, that social media influencer world. Every time Alabama gets X millions of dollars, Vanderbilt gets it as well. <laughs> And all they got to do is just play the damn games. <laughs> that is funny. It is funny, right? It's almost, you know, it's like revenue sharing a little bit in like the NFL. All right. So um, also wanted to let you guys know that uh, tennis is going on at the U.S. Open and we are watching it while we're doing this episode. So <laughs> we may be distracted. All right. So this episode really is going to talk about three major shifts in college sports, but in particularly in college football. Players ability to make money. Realignment and TV deals. So I do want to dive in because we have a lot of to just chat about when it comes to like the NIL, which is 
What is NIL? Oh, yeah. NIL is name, image, likeness, right? I think that passed in like 2021, a little over a year ago. Name, image, likeness. Wait, what is that exactly? That's where the players can make the money. Okay. Right? Off of who they are, right? And as in, in, in the past, they couldn't do that. And, but the new law came out and afforded players the ability to, you know, make money. And I applaud college football, NCAA, whoever was the governing body there, you know, allow for that to happen. I believe it was a, a court case, actually. It was. it was. I think it was. I mean, I, I do love the idea and the fact that kids can actually get paid for their talent now. I mean, back then, I mean, they were, I mean, kids were not, they're struggling to even find food if the school wasn't offering them food, but they're playing for their school, you know? Playing for the school. Yep. <laughs> school is making bank. And all you have to do is sit there and play the damn sport for a scholarship. And that's it. Oh, because you get paid for a scholarship. Like, dude, dude propor- proportionally, it doesn't, it's not adding up, right? I'm getting a, a scholarship that may cost, you know, 6000 If yeah. that, depending on the school you go to. They're probably making, for the throughout the four years, three years, even two years, probably making over half a mil. Half a mil, well, for that player, probably, that player, right, yeah. right. Because if you look at, like, exactly. You break it down. You break it down for player, right. Hell, it's probably more than that if you break it down per player. Schools are bringing in, you know, $14, $20 million per year. Mm-hmm. And that's just on football, right? In some cases, right? It could be even more. Um, and we'll dive a little bit more into the money pieces of it. But uh, I am with you. I'm happy that players are now allowed to make money. I'm also happy that, you know, we can we can trust in our legal system in some part to, you know, to fight for our freedoms, which is weird, right? You have to fight for your freedom. It doesn't make sense. I don't have to fight for a freedom that I'm air quotes supposed to already have, but nonetheless, you know, players successfully, you know, um, went forward with their legal case and, and now able to make money. Um, for me, I do find it a bit tricky because we tend to think about the larger universities, the larger schools, the big football programs, what about the smaller programs that are not in the big conferences and that can't pull in the amount of money, TV deal money, um, or the players can't, I should say. That is, it, get, it does get tricky. I mean, usually the smaller schools in the smaller conferences, they're probably known more for the academics and not for the school. So it's like, it's sort of hard to uh, find that little balance from, from where that money comes comes from or where it goes to. Yeah, and I was just watching a commercial that talked about, um, like, I, I guess I was watching football actually earlier, and one of the schools had their little advertisement about their school, right? And I started thinking, you know how many colleges we have in this country who all claim to do something versus another? And it's like, do, do, we, have, do we have too many? Yeah, way too many. It's like, why do we need all these schools? But if you get one rid of one, it's like, oh, it's tradition. Like, we don't need all these colleges. <laughs> we don't. Not everyone needs to go, first of all, to college. Nope, I agree. You know, you're forced to go. What if you're not even academically, you don't have the ability to, like, learn in that environment. It might be more skillful with your hands. Yeah. And now you're forced because, hey, this is the only way I can get out of it, which is a whole other topic about student loans. I won't get into that right now. <laughs> 
In fact, I'm going to do a student loan episode, to be honest, um, because I want to talk about it a lot. So stay tuned for that. But when when I'm thinking about the players and the ability to make money, uh, I also thought about (laughs) what if like a player, I know actually I saw this, a player who, now he wasn't sponsored by OnlyFans, obviously, but I think he was on OnlyFans. I saw this somewhere. Um, I'm curious to know who this is, but I, you can't. I think you couldn't like put it out there because if you say you're on OnlyFans and if you're getting money, right? Then you're basically putting your your ass on the line, right? Because how would the school or then the boosters or the alumni or whatever, whomever, will feel about you as a student athlete making money for OnlyFans? But then a regular student in the school probably on OnlyFans making money so why the student athlete can't do it as well right and it's just it gets very weird it, it, it does get weird when especially when you're held to a higher standard just because you play a sport right you know you can't live your life because right you're basically you, I guess you sign a contract I don't know how that goes but that's a good point Um, you can't do certain things because you're i don't know you you're sort of like an ambassador to that that school 